Good morning and welcome to Bethel Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Amy and this is our online worship experience. I want to begin by wishing everyone a happy 4th of July. I hope to see some of you all at the parade tomorrow. We have some good shade trees here at church that make for cool watching, so come on down and say hello. And for in-person worship, we are holding a uh, bluegrass jam in the fellowship hall for worship. After church, our council is also hosting a coffee hour where we will check in with members and take questions about any issues or concerns or plans that uh, we might want to make together. So something a bit different that weekend, or this weekend, I should say. It's actually a few days out from now. And I should share with you, uh, I am still struggling with sinus infections, so I apologize for my, my voice today. Do stay safe with your families as you travel for the holiday and uh, take a moment to pray in both Thanksgiving for our country and in hope that we, the people, can navigate the many divisions that have hurt us and that we may find our way to healing and to the peace that we know we can get to. And that's my wish for us all. Peace be with you all. Let us come now to worship our living God with this gift of faithful life together which we have been given in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God of all mercy and consolation, come to the help of your people, turning us from our sin to live for you alone. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit that we may confess our sin, receive your forgiveness, and grow into the fullness of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Gracious God, have mercy on us. We confess that we have turned from you and given ourselves into the power of sin. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. In your compassion, forgive us our sins, known and unknown, things we have done and things we have failed to do. Turn us again to you and uphold us by your Spirit, so that we may live and serve you in newness of life. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for us, and for his sake, God forgives us all our sins. I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. of a home far beyond the skies oh they tell me of a home far away oh they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise oh they tell me of an unclouded day oh the land of cloudless day oh the land of an unclouded sky Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Oh, 
Oh, they tell me of a home where my friends have gone. Oh, they tell me of that land far away, where the tree of life in eternal bloom sheds its fragrance through the unclouded day. Oh, the land of cloudless day. Oh, the land of an unclouded sky. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Oh, they tell me of a king in his beauty there, and they tell me that mine eyes shall behold where he sits on the throne that is whiter than snow. In the city that is made of gold. Oh, the land of cloudless day. Oh, the land of an unclouded sky. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. They tell me that he smiles on his children there, and his smile drives their sorrows away. And they tell me that no tears ever come again in that lovely land of unclouded day. Oh, the land of cloudless day. Oh, the land of an unclouded sky. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. response to the hungry and the poor that we may live out truth and justice and grace let us pray to the Lord let us pray to the Lord Kyrie eleison on our world and on our way Kyrie eleison every day 
to guide that you center our lives in the water and the word that you nourish our souls with your body and blood let us pray to the Lord let us pray to the Lord Kyrie eleison on our world and on our way Kyrie Let us pray. God, you are the ruler of our hearts. You call us to hear you, and you favor us with true freedom. Keep us faithful to the ways of your Son, that leaving behind all that hinders us, we may steadfastly follow your paths. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. As many of you well know by now, we are preaching and teaching and singing our way through the book of Acts this summer and likely beyond. We are mining our biblical history as part of our own renewal from the challenges of the last few years. And just to recap where we've been, we started with the Pentecost event a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit arriving on scene, inaugurating a new temple, fulfilling a very old promise a temple made not of stone, but of the minds, hearts, and bodies of Jesus' people. We explored the dynamic movement of the Spirit in human relationship and how in the Bible human community is the divine image, the divine community. And then last week, Pastor Mary Steinweber reflected on the first healing miracle to take place in the wake of this new era of the Holy Spirit. Although perhaps not the first healing miracle, but the first hearing miracle that we hear about in close in close connection and in close detail. And today, uh, we're going to take a look into the expansion of human community to include those without cultural power, because that's what that miracle did. We're going to examine the consequences of this miracle, because there were consequences. Just as there were every time that Jesus healed someone publicly or challenged the expectations, the same goes for those who follow him. This whole incident at the beautiful gate, which I encourage you to read about in the first part of Acts chapter 3, if you haven't already, it's Acts chapter 3. As contemporary people, we get caught up in the merciful graciousness of it all, and I think that we're supposed to. But what happens is pretty confrontational, actually. An ancient listener would have felt the tension of this drama, this man, lame from birth, given a healing he never expected or even asked for from the disciples. What Peter says about it afterwards is equally controversial, something we have long forgotten in our cultural distance from these stories. Where it happens, who is responsible, it all flies in the face of everything faithful people came to expect in those times. You're going to hear Peter say, look at you who are amazed. Who do you, who do you think did this? It wasn't me. 
I didn't sweat this one out with my own power or devotion. This was all God acting through me. The same power that raised Jesus was here today. The one who died, it is his name who made this man strong, Peter says. And Peter goes on, rebel that he is, naming Jesus, not just a wise teacher or a man of God, but Messiah. And all those promises that God made to Abraham and to his children, they are happening now. Peter contends this. They're happening now through Jesus. This news did not go over well. And it all adds up to trouble for the early church, something we in our relative world of safety and acceptance often underappreciate about Scripture. Trouble comes for Peter and John. Consequences for their bold gift, or as they would say, for God's bold gift. And so that's what we will hear right now, the consequences of healing this lame man at the gate called Beautiful. A reading from the fourth chapter of Acts. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them, much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. The next day their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were with the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick, and are asked how this man has been healed, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they ordered them to leave the council while they discussed the matter with one another. They said, What will we do with them? For it is obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them. We cannot deny it. But to keep it from spreading further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them again, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all of them praised God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing had been performed was more than forty years old. After they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, 
who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. It is you who said by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats, and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Psalm 66. Make a joyful noise to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, How terrible are thy deeds! So great is thy power that thy enemies cringe before thee. All the earth worships thee. They sing praises to thee. Sing praises to thy name. Come and see what God has done. He is terrible in his deeds among men. He turned the sea into dry land. Men passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept us among the living and has not let our feet slip. Amen. The Gospel is written in the 10th chapter of Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, Eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there. 
and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I was reminded this week by Bible scholars of some important background to everything that we just heard in Scripture. And this will just paint a big picture before we drill down onto the scene at the temple. Okay, so as I say these words to you, what do they remind you of? What event am I talking about? God has ordained a new birth. This is the good news of redemption and a coming peace on earth. Your salvation is here. Now, when I say those things, you, living in present times, as you do, are probably thinking Christmas, the birth of Christ. And it's true. That's how our gospel storytellers do talk about Jesus. But if I were living in the Roman world, I'd be thinking a new emperor is coming. Because those words were how royalty announced the birth of a new king, a human king in Rome. They even went so far as to call a new ruler the Son of God. Storytellers, Luke, chief among them, used deliberately provocative and controversial language to explain Jesus. Jesus arrives into history in opposition to worldly authority, the authority of the empire. He was against it. If we want to appreciate the biblical witness, especially in Acts, we have to keep this in mind. And John Collins and Tim Mackey, they had this amusing conversation about this conflict on their podcast saying that Roman authority didn't know what to do with the Christians. Jesus' followers announced a new Messiah, but they didn't do what new kings normally do when they show up. They didn't amass an army and conquer anyone. They didn't recruit a new military and depose the emperor. Yeah, they said, we're going to gather together in a new community, we aren't going to break laws, at least significant ones, and we're going to pay our taxes. We're not going to take over anything, but you aren't really our king. It's a pretty amusing lesson, and it made me appreciate just how much harder it is to deal with cultural change than it is to deal with an army. Our brains know what to do with that kind of threat. Rome did not know what to do with the Christians because they made a new culture. They committed to new ideas. In these opening chapters of Acts, they lay out their strategy. Worship God, break bread together, live in gratitude, not cynicism, hold goods and money in common rather than in private, and distribute to anyone as was their need. That was their radical battle plan. And neither religious nor civil authority knew how to handle it as their numbers grew day by day. That same podcast calls this part of Acts the tale of two temples. You've got the temple of the people, and as they confront the physical temple, right, the former temple, 
life becomes more and more dangerous to them as their power is unleashed. Now, mind you, again, just for historical context, Judaism also was empowered by this idea of a portable presence of God, a presence that lived with the people. They had a different kind of answer than Jesus, but it was the same idea of that no matter what happened to the physical temple, the spirit of God would go with them. And that's why in some ways, that's probably why it took 700 years to sort out the differences between Christians and Jews. Nowhere is this uncertainty in how to contain this new teaching, this new culture, this new old idea than in these verses of Acts when Scripture says. The authorities were so annoyed, right? They're so annoyed. That's the Bible word, annoyed, that they arrested Peter and John. And just a side note, remember it was Luke who wrote this story, and you see what happens in verse 4. It says, those who believed numbered about 5,000. I hope your ears are burning up a little bit when you hear that number, 5,000. Luke wrote a version of the feeding of the 5,000. And in Luke's story, it was the miracle of food that increased the faith of the people. Here, it is the teaching and the testimony that feed the people and inspire faith. I've not researched that, but I'm pretty sure we're supposed to make that connection. Anyway, it's just something cool. That's my aside. Back to the main point. This was dangerous stuff. Better put these rabble-rousers in jail. And then look at verses 16 and 17. How do we keep this from spreading further, they ask. Before letting them go, they order Peter and John not to speak and teach. Of course, the very next thing they do is speak and teach and proclaim, praying so deeply and profoundly the place where they are gathered begins to shake like the tremble of an earthquake. All that is to say that Christianity has been so successful as a movement because it destabilizes the dominant cultures where it roots. And subsequently, it's the same reason that Christianity is under threat today because too often Christianity mirrors the dominant cultures, right? The culture of coercion, the culture and idolatry of state power, right? And all of us, regardless of our political affiliations, actually because of them, have to pay really a close attention to where that happens. Within the places and the times where Christianity has thrived authentically and consistently with the biblical witness, it finds an alternative way of life together that lives against the world around it, but not through the force of the sword, not even enforcing a new belief system, but in calling people to a renewed identity and culture in a living God. Instead of death, it insists on joy. Instead of scarcity, it insists on abundance and generosity, right? It insists on a new way of relating each other, right? That brings respect, right? Mutual respect, mutuality. Instead of exploitation in class systems of various kinds, it says the power of the Holy Spirit can come upon anyone. Remember how Pastor Mary recounted the story of the healing outside the temple? She said, a man begs for silver or gold, and Peter answers, I don't have money. I'm poor like you, but I can give you what I do have. The authorities recognize Peter and John as uneducated and ordinary men, companions of Jesus, they say. That's the Christian movement. It was made up of all walks of life. At its core, it isn't just a merciful miracle that's happened. It's the destabilization of our expectations, a conviction of the binds holding us down, and a yes to the calling to live together in an active peace. 
And that leaves us with some hard questions to wrestle with as a church. Liberating questions, but hard ones nonetheless. As people who follow Jesus, right? Are we cultural disruptors? Do we live differently? Sometimes even against the cultures in our world that would have it otherwise. Does the culture that we create together here insist on joy and peace and abundance and an alignment, right? Does it make an alignment between intrinsic and extrinsic value of others? So not just what people are valued on the inside, but how they are valued on the outside. Do we build a world, right, that looks like there is alignment there? Invitations to the outsiders, do we give those risk in our message-making boldness in the face of those who would rather we just keep quiet to preserve security. I know these stories are a gut check. Maybe, I hope for all of us, for me, certainly, they are a gut check for a leader who calls herself Christian. That doesn't mean I doubt the love and grace of God for me, but a story like this makes me restless makes me restless because I want to lead in a way that if Peter and John happened along third and Crocker, they'd say, yes, the spirit of God is here. When these people pray, they tremble. So I guess that's my prayer this week, that God might disrupt those cultures in our congregation that need disrupted and resettled, that God might stir up the kind of trouble for us that leads to praise and belief and trust, that we can feel fed by that that God might help us authentically live as the temple we were intended to be. Amen. May it be so. I'm going to sit at the welcome table. I'm going to sit at the welcome table one of these days. Hallelujah. I'm going to sit at the welcome table. Sit at the welcome table one of these days, one of these days. I'm gonna feast on milk and honey. I'm gonna feast on milk and honey one of these days. Hallelujah. I'm gonna feast on milk and honey. Feast on milk and honey one of these days, one of these days. I'm gonna tell God how you treat me I'm gonna tell God how you treat me one of these days hallelujah I'm gonna tell God how you treat me tell God how you treat me one of these days one of these days all God's children gonna sit together all God's children gonna sit together one of these days, hallelujah. All God's children gonna sit together. All God's children gonna sit together one of these days, one of these days. I'm gonna sit at the welcome table. I'm gonna sit at the welcome table one of these days, hallelujah. I'm Gonna sit at the welcome table Sit at the welcome table One of these days, one of these days Sit at the welcome table One of these days I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I'm going to close with a poem by Wendell Berry that has meant a lot to me recently. The words are so beautiful. And he writes, When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. May God bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. To Canaan's land I'm on my way Where the soul never dies My darkest night will turn to day Where the soul never dies No sad farewell, no tear-dimmed eyes Where all is love and the soul never dies A rose is blooming there for me Where the soul never dies And I will spend eternity Where the soul never dies No sad farewell No tear-dimmed eyes Where all is love And the soul never dies I'm on my way to that fair land Where the soul never dies Where there will be no parting hand Where the soul never dies No sad farewell No tear-dimmed eyes Where all is love the soul never dies
Go in peace, love, and serve the Lord. My latest son is sinking fast. My race is nearly run. My strongest trials now are past. My triumph is begun. Oh, come angel band, come and around me stand. Oh, bear me away on your snowy wings to my immortal home. Oh, bear me away on your snowy wings to my immortal home. I know I'm nearing the holy ranks of friends and kindred dear. For I brush the dews on Jordan's banks, the crossing must be near. Oh, come angel band, come and around me stand. Oh, bear me away on your snowy wings to my immortal home. Bear me away on your snowy wings to my immortal home. I've almost gained my heavenly home. My spirit loudly sings. The holy ones, behold, they come. I hear the noise of wings. Oh, come angel band, come and around me stand. Oh, bear me away on your snowy wings to my immortal home. Oh, bear me away on your snowy wings to my immortal home. to him who bled and died for me, whose blood now cleanses from all sin and gives me victory. Oh, come, angel band, come and around me stand, oh, bear me away on your snowy wings. To my immortal home Oh, bear me away on your snowy wings To my immortal home